come. Walk down the winding path. Don't mind the spooks and monsters. They stay hidden within the trees. There are mysteries in this world that you need to know, and paranormal truths that need to be told. Come, step up into the caravan while we share tales of old, as well as new accounts about things you thought only existed in your nightmares. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us inside the Caravan Library of Lore. And, of course, sitting over here is Jennifer. Hi, Jen. Hello. Say hi, Thomas. Do you like Thomas or Tom? Hello. How are you all doing out there? Actually, thank you for asking. We're doing really good. At least I'm doing really well. We'll we'll get uh, Jennifer's feedback. I think she might be doing good, too. Um, Yep. As most of all of you, as our listeners know, uh, Tom Seawood, he is probably one of one of my top three favorite uh, Sasquatch researchers. Um, and I know with his with his background, he has just a plethora of information more than most that actually try to research by stepping themselves into the woods without having as much experience as Tom does. So thank you, Tom, for joining us. Um, I want to kind of kick things off and then kind of let you carry the ball from there. But yeah, no I, I, had a, I had a question. Um, what, over maybe about two years ago, and I brought this up with Jennifer earlier before this interview, um, a couple of years ago, and when I say a couple of years, I'm being more specific to about two years ago, I've heard a number of witness encounters to Sasquatch or Bigfoot or however different parts of the country refer to this um, creature as. And I heard so many reports, one after another after another, that stated that it seemed when looking at the face of this uh, creature, it appeared to have the same physical features as a person with Down syndrome. And then all of a sudden, I don't hear that anymore. Have Have you heard of that? And do you actually think that that's something that is tangible? Or maybe one person was just kind of following along with somebody else's testimony to say that? Because to me, that seems to be a very profound statement to make when you're looking face to face with something you may not know and to use that term with no disrespect that it appeared that it had down syndrome or do you think that might just be an isolated case here and there do you have any opinions on that i think and seeing one that's about 40 feet looking at it face to face uh First thing I did was I broke one of our cardinal rules, being a Kwakwakiwak Indian from Northern Vancouver Island. We're taught to always respect them, and when you do see them up close, don't look at them in the eye. But because mm-hmm. you know, I've been out in the bush for over 30 years, and you know, I used to be a hunting guide specializing in grizzly bears and black bears for Safari Club International clients, you know, I've kind of got a more bush-type persona about myself, how I carry myself. So right away, I wanted to look the thing in the face, eyeball to eyeball. 
you know, I remember hearing that report a few times through the years, and what came to mind to me was it looked very inquisitive, very intelligent, but it also gave me that grimace and showed its teeth the size of chiclet gums, you know, those big white gum candies we used to eat as kids, and mm-hmm. that's what came to mind. And, but I knew that thing grimacing at me that it was telling me to get out of there. I don't want you around here, you know, which I heeded the warning. But, you know, I've never seen anything close resembling Down syndrome. And I think it's more of a, probably a few isolated reports where the human has that inferiority complex. Or they're, they think they're superior, I mean, to the creature, and which I think is totally the complete opposite. Um, I have to agree with you. I think it probably is the total opposite. Um, I I certainly would have the first instinct, and this isn't about me. This is about you, but I would have that first personal instinct of instant respect um, and uh, just to cherish that moment, you know, careful what you wish for, but just to cherish that moment, um, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, but like, you like have me, the respect you know, like- first. Twice I tried to be an assimilated Canadian Indian into society, and twice I got kneecapped and I had to declare personal bankruptcy. And after the second time in 2007, I said, the hell with this. And I don't want to offend you viewers, but as an Indian, I said, the heck with this. I don't want to be a white man no more. I don't want to be a assimilated Canadian Indian trying to be like they want me to be. Then twice they've kneecapped me, so I'm going to be what I am. I'm a Bush Indian. And I got off society's radar. I don't even have a bank account. I don't file nothing. I could care less. I've had our revenue agency phone me and I just told them, look, as an Indian, I'm off your radar. I don't exist. I will not pay you a dime until you pay me a million dollars. And that million dollars is for the land, trees, and everything else you've taken from me as an Indian, an indigenous person of Canada. I'm like a Sasquatch. I'm sitting in the bush watching what you're doing and what you want me to be. And I don't agree, and I'm not going to get into your society. Unfortunately, unlike a Sasquatch, I have given in to weakness. I have to wear clothing. I have to have night vision at night to see. Unlike a Sasquatch, it has nocturnal vision. It can see without night vision. And I've given in to the biggest weakness. I need fire. I need energy. I need fire to cook my food. I need it to run my outboard motor, my vehicles, and so forth. Now you look at the Sasquatch, totally off society's radar. As far as I'm concerned, they're just another type of human. And Mm -hmm. they choose to live by the night. They choose not to wear clothing. And you know darn well they haven't given in to greed and envy and everything else that we live by. And we got a Jones effect and have a better iPhone than the other guy and a better Android and better clothes. And we got to drive a Mercedes Benz instead of driving a $25,000 smaller vehicle that does the same thing four tires spin put it in drive it gets you forward put it in reverse it brings you backwards put it in park and it stops well Mm -hmm. we give in and that's what the sasquatch is and that's the path i'm following i have finally made the decision i will not give in to what they want me to be i'm going to live free and wild and that's the way i am well i find that um so worthy tom i really do and I'm not saying that just for the show and just so that you hear it, but I truly find that worthy. The older I get, I I do. I have that moment where I want to say, F it. When we move on from here, 
onto wherever we go after what we consider death, it doesn't matter anymore. So why do we take these trivial little things as so materialistic? No, it doesn't matter when we move on. But, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of touched on a really important point, and again, I want to ask another question that might be a little bit more obscure. Um, humans are violent by nature. As a society, we are very violent creature. Do you, do you think or do you know, um, would the Sasquatch have those tendencies of violent behaviors towards other Sasquatch groups or societies? Or, or do you think it's more of just a unison respect with everything around it? It's what I call Bush law, Bush code, and that's what we adhere to outside of the concrete world. Out in the Bush world, you screw up, you get someone angry with you or something angry with you, or you disrespect something like a Sasquatch or a bear, you're going to get pooped out in the forest within two days. That's a guarantee. You will get taken out. And if you look at all of the reports about Sasquatches that go back to back in contact in North America, there's always reports of aggression. And mm-hmm. it's no different, you know. Look at 411. How many humans do we have going off the radar, disappearing? Here we're going to attribute 95% or more of them to natural causes, heart attacks, hypothermia, falling down, killing themselves, suicide, mm-hmm. push, overdose. But what about that? small percentage and if you look at the small percentage by the amount of reports yearly throughout Sasquatch Island North America you know it's pretty high how many people go missing out there well those right. are the ones that didn't heed the warnings hearing wood being pounded against a tree telling you to stop turn around go back where you come from you hairless bipedal creature I don't want you up here where, where my Sasquatch family is what are those mm-hmm. what about the people that go oh I saw finding Bigfoot I gotta bang a tree too and go closer and see if it's a Sasquatch. And next thing you know, right. they've broken the cardinal rule of the Sasquatch. I gave you a warning to stop, turn around, get the hell out of here. You didn't take that mm-hmm. warning. Now you're disrespecting me. And next thing you know, they become a statistic, another missing person. So, yeah, mm-hmm. everything gets pooped out in the forest. That's the rule out there. You mess up, unlike here, you mess up and go smack someone because they deserve a backhand because they wronged you. Well, next you know you're charged for assault, you go to court, you got to pay thousands of dollars for a lawyer, you get a criminal record. Next you know right. you can't go outside the country. Now you can't get a job because it's a felony in the United States. So mm-hmm. our society and theirs are very, very different. But out in the bush, you wrong someone or something, you will become a statistic. You get disappeared real quick. More than likely, bush rule next one kicks in. Easy access to a lot of protein with the least amount of energy to consume or to mm-hmm. consume and store for later use. Right. Well, next thing you know, you're a lot of calorie count in someone's belly. And it might be a Sasquatch, might be a bear. And after they're done with you, in comes the coyotes and the ravens, mm-hmm. the eagles, the vultures, the mice, the rats, the worms, the maggots. The list goes on. The bush rule is simple. Right. You screw up, right. you come in the belly of something, period. Mm. Well, it's wonderful advice, you know, for the number of times that I've, you know, spent camping in the wilderness. And when I say camping, I don't do the uh, resort camping. I go remote camping. I haven't in a while, but, you know, when I used to go, um, I 
I've always believed in being a good steward to my surroundings. You know, I never leave a trace of myself ever being there to begin with. Um, and I, maybe that's why I never had an encounter except one time when I was up in uh, the Wisconsin, uh, northern Wisconsin, right at, you know, towards the Canadian border, um, up at the Lac de Flambeau. And I told the story to Bono Russell, and I shared it with him on his Mojo Encounters. But, you know, we were tent sleeping for New Year's, and it got darn cold. I mean, it was minus 30. But we heard a, a knock on the tree. But this was before any of my awareness of Sasquatch being in that area. But we heard a knock in about 1 in the morning on a tree. And I would have guessed it might have been two to 300 feet away. But it startles you. And when you're in the death of silence, in the middle of nowhere, your ears ring when you hear something because your ears are pitched to hear something and focus on it. But it wasn't until we broke camp the next morning and hiked out of there because it was a seven-mile hike to get back to our vehicle that we heard very loud thumping through the woods. Uh, there was a dog that was barking, and it was a beagle. And the beagle came running out of the tree line across a, you know, the fire break. And it ran across a fire break, and it was howling and barking and howling and barking. And it wasn't but five seconds later, I, from what I can recall, it was either between six and eight deer came running out behind the dog. Now, it doesn't normally work that way. It's usually the dogs chasing the deer, but the deer were actually on the trail of the dog. And we, I heard, and my brother picked it up too, this loud thumping. And I remember this as clear as day. I looked at my brother, because that's who I went camping with. I'm like, dinosaur? Because this was such a heavy, thudding <laughs> sound. And it stopped right at the tree line. For the best that we can tell, and we were both armed, but we were also in full camo because we were camping. We wanted to see the wildlife around us. We were only armed for our protection. We weren't hunting. And it stopped right at the tree line. And, of course, you know, we kept moving away because it was a little bit intimidating. And a couple of pine cones. One flew over my head and one hit the back of my brother's hood because we had our hoods up. And I'm telling you, from that moment on, I just had this overwhelming sense we need to go. We didn't run, but we picked up our pace and tromped. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of snow, but I never, I never put two and two together until years later when I'm getting involved in what the stories are that you have shared and others that have shared in the Sasquatch community to say, no, this is kind of their behavior. This is a warning. You get out of my area. I never yep. saw it. Right. I can't say that it was, but. I'm. It's not a bear. I'm sorry, but a bear ain't throwing a pine cone at anybody. No. And we were in There's the fire a... break. Yeah. So there were no trees over our head. So where did those pine yeah. cones pine cones come from? They they were thrown. It, clearly they were thrown. But yeah, Jen, you have a question. Go. I I do. Um. Did you ever smell anything? No. No, there okay. was no so, no verbal noise or no smell. No. Mm -mm. So then my question for Tom, because if you didn't smell anything, and with with my, I don't know if I want to call it an encounter, but my experience that I had up on Mount Hood, um, 
I didn't smell anything either. And, you know, there was the heavy footsteps that were coming close to the tent. And then, you know, I had raced over to zip it up and the steps stopped. And then I never heard it walk away. And I just had this really scary feeling, you know, but I never smelled anything either. And so I'm curious, why is it that you smell them in certain encounters and others you don't? Because one of the things I'm learning working with my fellow North American Indians and working with uh, my buddy Lucas out of the Omaha Indian Reserve in Nebraska, he's taught me a lot about smells. One of them being you take cedar boughs and you rub it on your neck and either side mm-hmm. and you put it under your hat and hang another piece off your body. And mm-hmm. to them, it, they equate the smell of the human scent mixed with the cedar as he, he didn't elaborate, but I'm taking it that it's like a sign of respect, that I mean you no harm, no mm-hmm. disrespect. So that's what wow. he's, he's going to enlighten more to me when I see him here. I'm going to fly him out from Omaha to Seattle here in a, probably next week, and he's going to spend uh, considerable time with me as I write down all of his uh, interactions with them through 38 years. But mm-hmm. with me smelling them in my language we say Wallace Yachbala that means big stink and then mm-hmm. when you read enough books about Sasquatch, Bigfoot and primates overall you find that they can excrete through glands oh. like we have our armpits with you know your body odor from the BO under our arms well that's a mm-hmm. you know a primitive scent gland we have in there and we haven't washed for a while and it, you know worked hard and so forth we get that excrete the smell well mm-hmm. primates can excrete it when they feel threatened or intimidated and in my mm-hmm. interactions with sasquatch especially the first two encounters i had it was just overpowering the first time is when i had two of them in the spotlight of my commercial fish boat in the early 90s in a bay anchored out with no wind and moon out and hardly any mm-hmm. clouds so I lit them up with, you know, no, who knows how many hundred thousand candle watts, those big 18-inch mm. diameter spotlights are in a commercial fish boat, and we saw a male and right. a female on the beach. And, of course, we had that overpowering, rotten human odor times 20 or 30, almost once makes you want to gag. Mm. Well, the only thing I can attribute it to is them letting the scent glands go like a skunk does, you know, letting you know that, hey, I don't want you here. You know, everything in the bush, like we as most humans, I can't speak for myself after being tuned up in the bush over three decades, but we have that, what we can judge and understand is what we can see or hear. Well, in the bush, it's a whole different world. When you're in an 18-foot aluminum speedboat and you're going from one island to another, you have no radar. All you have is a depth sounder that you don't dare turn on because the light's going to blind you. And it's pea soup fog in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. you're running a compass course, well, you know that you light your cigarette when you leave the dock and you can't see the light no more in your back. And you're looking at your compass course and you smoke your cigarette. As soon as you finish it, you light another one. So two cigarettes being smoked, by the time the second one's done, you've, a 15-minute time period roughly has elapsed. And you know that right. going from A to B, it's about an 18-minute shoot on that boat at that speed so you slow down and you tune yourself in to smell and all of a sudden boom like it slapped in the face with the smell of wow. bull kelp 
this large kelp that affixes itself to rocks in shallow water. And now there's your rock that's just under the surface. You're now at that big, what we call a kelp patch. And you get close, and lo and behold, you see with your flashlight the kelp all around the speedboat. You take your next compass course, and you shoot. Now, it, you know, it's a 20-minute shoot, so and you just had two cigarettes, so now you go by your watch. And in 20 minutes, you slow down again, and all of a sudden, boom, you smell the smell of pop kelp because, you know, it's low, lower, lower tide, and it's a different type of kelp that adheres to the rock wall all around the entryway to this little cove called Telegraph Cove where all the whale watchers go on Vancouver Island. And when you slow down, boom. There's the lights coming out of the fog, the entrance to Telegraph Cove, which is about 120 feet wide. And you pull in, and there's the docks, and all the tourists are tied up and sleeping in their cabins and in their RVs. And you tie up to the dock and walk up to your cabin or wherever you're staying. So your nose is everything. It's going to see for you. It's going to hear for you. So in the bush, when you're trained, I can walk through the bush of my region, and I can tell if there's a black-tailed deer, a wolf, a cougar, a black bear, a grizzly bear around, if there one happens to be one on Vancouver Island, and we do have a few here, or all of a sudden I come across that rank odor. I know that it's time to stop, turn around, get out of there, because big fella is telling me, I don't want you here. And I'm seeing that it seems to be, in my region, the more times there are reports of smell, it's usually when there's a female present. Now, that's oh, all I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm not going to go in deep about it, but maybe mm-hmm. the males are the aggressive ones that do the tree shaking, the tossing of pine cones and rocks and sticks, the pushing over of dead trees, because we know orangutans do that and chimpanzees and great mountain gorillas. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm starting to see a pattern starting to evolve in my research report reports I gather that when there's a lot of smell, it's generally when you small fresh tracks are seen with big ones, or just a female with you know some juveniles. So it mm-hmm. seems more prevalent with females than when humans come across them that there's more reports of strong body odors. There's wow, that's that really I, an interesting that's, that's take that I never really thought of, yeah. Right. That's what I do. That's what Sasquatch Island's all about. <laughs> I make everyone start using their frontal lobes. We all make fun of Sasquatch <laughs> having a sloping head and being supposedly looking like they have Down syndrome, where in truth they have a conical head, sloping forehead, and they got more frontal lobe development than we humans do. That's the way mm-hmm. I look at it. So when you think right. in that context that you're going up against the superior, Mm-hmm. eventually they're going to make a mistake. It's inevitable. And I've been pounding so bloody long now. I'm just crossing my fingers and hope my body can keep carrying me a few more years that they screw up and I get that beautiful, crispy pictures or video. <laughs> uh, we're pulling for you. Believe me, yeah. we're pulling for you. If anybody deserves to get it, that would be you, Tom. It would be you. Um so it, it so it would definitely be of your opinion that it would be more the the smell is more of a deterrent uh, rather than a warning it other than it excreting the smell out of fear it's excreting it as a repellent 
Would that well, be more I've of your no opinion? No reports yet of any humans being sexually aroused by the smell of a probable Sasquatch. No, way. that's just, just a... okay. You've got a point. You know. Oh my gosh! You that's truly crazy. have a you have a point. You know. okay. <laughs> Jennifer, you carry the rest of this interview. I'm just going to sit back and <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I do have um another question to throw at you. Um in the past when I've listened to your other interviews, there is a story that I have fallen in love with. And if you have time, it would be fantastic if you could tell it. Um uh, but before that, um you use the word Juniqua. And I was wondering if you could explain that to the listeners, whereas it's not it's not just another name for Bigfoot, right? It's the name of a female Sasquatch, and is it all female Sasquatch or just one? Well, unfortunately, we Kwakwakiwak, when I was born in 1965, I was born a Kwakwakiwak, and mm-hmm. I even heard I was called a Kwakwakiwak, and then I became a Kwakwakiwak, according to other tribe members. And then in my late 20s, we were told we have to be called Kwakwakiwak, the Kwakwala-speaking people of 16 recognized tribes who all share the common language of Kwakwala. And that's why we're mm-hmm. called Kwakwakiwak, the Kwakwala-speaking people. So in my lifetime, my tribal name for my nation has been changed and adapted to be what it really is. And the reason why Kwakwakiwak and Quagutal and Quakatoodle were wrong was because back in the colonial days, those pompous government officials and missionaries and Indian agents, they didn't care bugger all about us filthy, rotten Indians, so long as we stayed in the confines of Indian reserves and weren't seen unless they wanted to see us and weren't heard unless they wanted to hear us. So they would come up with these names like Quagutal and Quakatoodle. And finally, when we started to affirm our rights and became what I say now, more Canadian than Canadian, we are recognized as Kwakwakiwak. And mm-hmm. Odakwa is no different. So back in the colonial days and the explorer days, those people didn't know how to speak Kwakwala, nor did we know how to speak Her Majesty's English. So mm-hmm. lost in translation, the name Chonakwa became the wild woman of the woods, where in truth, Chonakwa refers to, like my teacher from Alert Bay tells me, sort of like an ogre, larger than a human, bipedal, covered in hair, these big creatures, mm-hmm. male and female. And on our totem poles, actually, God, I hate that name, on our memorial poles, our welcoming poles, mm-hmm. our house posts that hold up our beams of our big houses, traditional homes, and now ceremonial big houses, and dowry poles of past and ridicule poles, those poles would have this image of a puckered lip, sleepy-eyed creature with large pendulous breasts, Chonokwa, mm-hmm. the female rendition. But when you mm-hmm. got to go to a potlatch, a great celebration of life, that is our memorial services, our graduation ceremonies for our youth and to the societies they were born and will enter through through dance and song and press figures coming to life and dance and song and to 
witness this great celebration of a family open their box of treasure by their chief's order and direction, and they share with everyone who comes their story since the dawn of their creation, and crests come to life on that dance floor, gifts are given, speeches are given, people are remembered that passed on, marriages are witnessed, debts are paid, loans are taken. It's everything to us, this potlatch ceremony. Well, only then, when a chief dies, and three years or more after his death, when a male in the family does everything right, prepares the family to host this memorial potlatch, maybe raising a memorial pole carved in honor of the dead chieftain, depicting crests from his family box of treasure, and carving or getting carvers to put at the base the wild woman of the woods with outstretched arms, signifying that that memorial pole is telling you that the chief in life, his, him and his family were so wealthy, they could afford to acquire the Chunokha crest through marriage. And outstretched arms signifies you could feel his and his family's wealth all around the world. And then, of mm-hmm. course, inside the house post, they would put their Rolex watch, their Mercedes-Benz on the house post. And you'd see these great female Junokas carved in there in some houses. Because it's our most valuable crest to have. But when the chief died and that male did everything right over a two or three-year period or longer, and he hosted a memorial potlatch in his, the chieftain who died's honor, the helicopter, the chief speaker, will go put that male Junokha mask and hold it to his face and ask everyone, has this man fulfilled his obligations and responsibilities to remember the chief who had passed on, whose name was this? And of course, no one contests that this man should be the next chief. And then he removes the mask of the male Junokha with a mustache, and that is to acknowledge that now he will be recognized as that family or clan's territorial chieftain. So that's the only time you see the male Junokha mask. So when you go to the museums now and you look close after reading and joining my group, Sasquatch Island, or hearing me on a podcast, or seeing me on television, or reading my book whenever I get time to write it, you can say, ah, the Junokha actually refers to male and female Sasquatch Bigfoot, according to the Kwakwakiwak. And this is when and where you will see them. And the male one is very rare. So when I go to the Campbell River Museum or the Alert Bay Umich the Cultural Center or across from Campbell River to the Numbalis Cultural Center or the Royal British Columbia, the University of British Columbia Museum of Anthropology, the Seattle Art Museum, and the list goes on across the world. When you go to these museums and you see these puckered lips, sleepy-eyed, hair-covered masks or carving, you look at the mm. lip, and the reason why we see the puckered lips is because they're always hollering, whoop, 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 from <laughs> different island to different island. But above the mm-hmm. lip, notice, ah, that one has no mustache. It's a female rendition. That one has a mustache. That's the rare male one that was probably used in potlatches for who knows how many hundreds of years. And that's how you tell the difference between the male and the female, and where and when you'll see it. So I have a question. On your cover photo on your Facebook page, is that the mask in which you are speaking of that you're sitting next to? female Junokha. I don't think we have enough time tonight. You guys can get me on again. I share the legends and stories that belong to my Seawood family, the Seawood family. 
and my uh-huh. chief has given me permission to share them with the world. So I'd be honored mm-hmm. to come on and tell you the story about why the Judah has a basket on her back and why she has a terrified child mm-hmm. in there with a mother hanging on, tearing at her child, because the female Judah has the right to take misbehaving children with her big hairy arm at night when they right. into the tent, the RV, the house, the big house in the old days, or swimming out to a boat and reaching through a window or a porthole, mm-hmm. grabbing that misbehaving mm-hmm. child and throwing him in a basket and bringing him deep into the forest, up a mountain to her invisible home. That's where we can't find them. And that's where she boils up and eats the misbehaving children. Mm-hmm. All the kids out there, they got to remember that Chonachla is our boogeyman out here, and they exist, and they will grab the misbehaving children. So whenever children go camping or out in the bush with their family and friends, when the adults tell them to do something, they're not supposed to whine, moan, act out, throw a temper tantrum. They're mm-hmm. just supposed to do what they're taught, taught, told to do because that is what we do as people. We respect one another, especially our elders. Right, right. Yeah, no, I've got a big smile on my on face because <laughs> yeah, I, I love those stories. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, hey, I know Jennifer and myself both love that entire story to begin with. It's probably... I know it's my favorite. I think Jen, you mm-hmm. probably said it was your favorite too. Um, because I did. That was the last episode yeah. too. Yeah, no, I find it totally fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I know Jen, you asked for Tom to to share a quick story. Well, oh, that was the one. So, and, oh, okay. and I think it, it's, it takes uh-huh. a little bit of time. So we should definitely have him on again. Well, see, Tom said he'd be honored to come back on the show. Mm-hmm. I would be the one honored if he came back yes, on the show. Yes, we would. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't be I got two weeks off. I'm going to go home and rest and relax. I can't watch <laughs> there you go. My yeah. body has been brutalized. I've been expeditions mm-hmm. for Sasquatch for the last two months or more. I've been working mm-hmm. my butt off every day, crawling under trailers, repairing them, and working on boats. And I'm beat up. It's time to go home. So, good yeah, well, Sorry. well, I appreciate easy. it. I do have one other question to ask. And again, it's a more obscure question, but of anybody that would might at least have a little bit of insight, it would probably be you. Now, again, I have not witnessed or had an encounter with a Sasquatch. However, with all the encounters that I have heard, so many do describe the eyes. And you did say earlier in the interview, it's you don't look into the eyes. And I completely agree and understand with that. However, so many witnesses claim that the eyes are so dark or just a slight portion of the whites of the eyes are red. Do you think that the eyes are dark because it's more adapted to being able to see at night or or is this just a a DNA development with you know such a creature that I just kind of would put it into a scientific aspect that maybe the pupils are so much larger for gathering light for being able to move about in the woods after sundown you think there's anything to that at all Oh, definitely. You know, deer. You know, we put a spotlight on deer or headlights and the male this time of year in Vancouver Island, it's, you know, rut season right now. And the male's eyes are orange-red. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, the females are always green-yellow. And then other times of the year, you'll see a buck, and it's kind of orange-yellow. And, you know, for some reason, you know, rut, you know, that their blood's pumping, you know, they're they're all tuned up. They're just all got one thing on their mind, and you notice their eyes are more redder. That's why when we go pit lamping with lights at night, spotlighting them out of our vehicles looking for deer, we're looking for reddish eyes. And that's the one you just lay down mm-hmm. the crosshairs of the iron sight and bingo, get your meat. And mm-hmm. we Indians are allowed to pit lamp here in Canada, which is thank God. But anyway, mm-hmm. with the Sasquatches, it's the males, of course, have the reddish eyes. When you hear the reports about people seeing them just before dark, but it wasn't dark or daytime, and their eyes were glowing red, when that, as Dr. John Bindernagel here on Vancouver Island taught me through the last almost three decades, you know, about researching, when in doubt, throw it out. So, in other words, when someone says, "Oh, I had a daytime sighting and the eyes were glowing red." Right away, that guy's full of BS, and that mm-hmm. one just gets her It's me looking at my cell phone going, oh, I forgot, I got an appointment, and I leave, you know, <laughs> respect them, you know, I'm, I'm, so I'm not going to, out of respect, I'm not going to sit there and listen to your BS, but at right. the same mm-hmm. turn, you know, you're not going to waste my time with your BS, but out of respect, I'm not going to tell you you're so full of it, your eyes are brown, but if we look <laughs> at that term, you're so full of it, your eyes are brown. Now, if you look right. at the research and the photographs, archival photographs of when they started taking pictures of us indigenous people across Sasquatch Island, North America. You'd be pretty hard-pressed to find a blue-eyed Indian. Didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And what do we say as native people across Sasquatch Island about Sasquatch Bigfoot? Oh, they're the other tribe. Oh, they're the tribe that stay away from us. So Mm. when I first got into this, I started reading books. And, you know, as a kid, even, but more so after my big sighting in the early 90s and going to Dr. John Bindernagel, you know, I was, John and I were both discussing that it's possibly a branch of Gigantopithecus through the land bridge. Well, now that I've done enough research and been out there enough and been around them, I've thrown that speculation out the door. To me, they're not Gigantopithecus. They're just another form of human, no different than the humans that live in the high mountain areas, Andes, Himalayas. Mm-hmm. They have a larger lung capacity to deal with the less air at high altitude. Mm-hmm. If we look at the northern people of the Arctic throughout the entire northern hemisphere, Norway, Russia, Canada, Alaska, that used to traditionally eat a lot of seal and whale, they have a larger liver to deal with all that high vitamin B, I think it is, coming through their body from the meat they eat and the blubber. And then if you look at uh, how humans as a whole, an Asian compared to someone of African descent, compared to someone of Eastern Europe descent, compared to a North American indigenous native person, compared to someone from the Aborigine people of Australia, you notice the huge differences on their humans, but they look vastly different. Mm-hmm. And one of the legends I'll share with you about Juanacua in the future, hopefully sooner than later, is about mm-hmm. exactly that, that we don't judge a person from where they come from, from the color of their skin, how they feel, how their hair might feel different. 
we judge them upon their heart and their soul and their worthiness or their nastiness. Mm-hmm. That's how you judge a human, not by color mm-hmm. or face or anything like that. That's another mm-hmm. legend for another time. But if we look at that and then we open our minds up and use our frontal lobe and don't think like a superior and think like we're an equal, then we look at Sasquatch and go, hey, they're just taller, a little bit, got way more hair than us, and their eyes have adapted to a nocturnal existence instead of a daylight existence like the rest of us humans. Mm-hmm. And they don't use mm-hmm. fire and they don't use clothing. So that's how I look at it. And so to me, when finally, and you look at the DNA reports that come in, you know, like people go, oh, what do you think about this DNA report? I don't think nothing about it. Because everyone's going to argue about it, and then five, seven years from now, someone's going to go, oh, we've got to throw that out because science now tells us that this path of DNA has to be followed. And what we mm-hmm. said and agreed upon before is, you know, irrelevant now. It doesn't make sense. So DNA and the science of DNA is always going to continually be evolving. Maybe it finally will plateau out, but right now it's going up, and mm-hmm. eventually it will plateau. and then maybe we can get conclusive proof on DNA. Right now, everyone's just going to keep arguing. i got no time for argument. I got t- I'm, mm-hmm. What I'm focusing on is trying to get conclusive video, still picture, proof of the existence of these creatures. And when people go, well, do you think they're this? Do you think they're that? No, I don't. I think they're just another human and a lot smarter than me in the bush. But they're going to mm-hmm. screw up one time. All humans make mistakes. Well, this is true. No, this is very true, and I think um, all creatures from everywhere make mistakes at some point. It, it's it is it's it's part of what nature does, uh, and you theoretically are supposed to learn from your mistakes. Unfortunately, I think the human race hasn't really done that yet. Even though we've been around for thousands of years, we keep making the same mistake over. You think at some point we would learn, but clearly we haven't yet. But no, you bring up a really good point. And I and you you made reference to something that they don't use fire, which kind of triggered a thought in my mind that I know Jennifer wanted to ask um, regarding the wildfires. Jen. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I I was just wondering when in the event of a wildfire, you know what they do, where they go. Well, if we look at the reports and we start asking the right questions, you're going to find that during the start of summer, the Sasquatches, and I can only speak from my region, Western Canada, British Columbia area, they disappear. They they move after the hooligans in end of March, April. They'll hang around a bit, still pick out the shellfish areas, but then they'll go after salmon berries. And the salmon mm-hmm. berries shoot first, then the salmon berries, which is the first vitamin C of the year for the native people and them. And then mm-hmm. the salmon berries, of course, because we've got so much logging now, it goes right up to the alpine. So they're working all that salmon berry. But they're also getting up for May because deer, they like to go up in the alpines for all that lush greenery and flowers and everything and expanse meadows that are, you know, hills. But they're meadows. They're just not flat. Mm-hmm. But they're mm-hmm. filled with nutrients for the deer. And those big does 
they like to be up in those alpines because when they fawn drop, they're fawns and they have a better chance of survival because they're not in the steel wool of the forest. And mm. they can see a long ways, smell a long ways, hear great distances, and get their baby the heck away from the predator. And you'll notice, because being a bear hunting guide, and this is what I bring into the whole equation, I bring a whole different way of patterns and thought. Because I've been out there, and I've chased those big trophy black bears and grizzly bears in late April through May and into early June before the close, up in the alpines, because that's where they are. They're not in the rivers, because there's no salmon. Sure, there's mm-hmm. a few down in the skunk cabbage wallows and the estuaries and rock rolling on the beaches, but it's so hot down below that those grizzly bears start shaking their hair real soon. So as a hunting guide who wants major tippage from my Safari Club International client, they need the big boar. Hey, boy, I need a big grizzly bar. You going to get me that there, Indian? <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm going to get you that, and I'm going to get your fat, camoed ass up into the alpines, and I drag them up there because that's where the big bears are because they're after right. the lush greenery and the bulbs and the tubers. The ground squirrels, the marmot, right. after mm-hmm. the pond drops as well. And then when you spend enough time up in Alpine, you start seeing the big wolves up there, especially the lone wolves, the ones that have been ousted from pack. They'll be up there mm-hmm. hunting because they have a better chance of jumping down from something. You see cougars up there because that's where the does are dropping those fawns. And that's where the Sasquatches are as well. Remember what I taught you, the cardinal rule. Heavy accumulation of mass protein that's easily accessible with the least amount of energy to acquire and consume. So that's where the Sasquatches are. Unlike us stupid humans, we they go, oh, we'll go live on riverbanks that flood and see our houses and our livelihoods torn away. Oh, we'll go live in the forest and, oh, God, look at the smoke coming. Oh, what do you mean I got 10 minutes to get out of here? I've been living here for 50 years. Doesn't matter. Get out of here. Evacuation notice is given. Jump in your truck. Get what you can. Take off. Come back. Cry your eyes out because your hard lifetime work is just right. charcoal. Well, the Sasquatch right. ain't that stupid. They got a well-developed frontal lobe. You're up in the alpine above tree line, and they go, "Hey, look. Hey, buddy, look. Smoke on the horizon. Yeah, it'll just go down that ridge line the way the wind is, and it'll bypass us." Yeah, okay, let's go over to the hump here and go get some fawns and eat some. See, nice that's flowers. fascinating that you mention it that way. And, and that's because what these I'm are thoughts. The pattern. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, I've seen them up there, those fit people that don't smoke cigarettes like me and drink beer. They're up in uh-huh. those alpines with their Kevlar on and their mountain equipment co op and their RE, I overpriced outdoor wear. And they're up there hiking and looking and posting on Facebook, and I'm looking at everything. And I've been up there, but I know, and as I hear the reports coming in, oh, we're hiking up above the tree line, and oh, we saw this big hairy creature. And we're starting to see it on YouTube now, guys, seeing Sasquatches going across ice fields and so forth. You know, look at Hillary. Um, Edmund Hillary, I think it was. He goes and hikes yes. to Mount Everest. What does he come back with? The first picture is a Yeti track. Right. They're up there. Mm-hmm. They might not be staying like Hillary. They didn't. They're not eating up there. They're just going up, down the other side, and into the forest and the other side for mating, food, so forth. Oh. So they're up there, but the main reason in North America is they ain't stupid yeah. like us looking at their houses getting burnt down. <laughs> they watch those fires and they move to the other mountain or ridge line and 
fire bypasses them. And besides right. that, when have you ever heard of a forest fire in the Alpine? Too green up there. No. It's too lush. Right. Not dry. No, that's a that's a really interesting take on it that I really didn't dwell on long enough to think about it. I, it's true though. I or I say it's true just out of that's a very good analogy and understanding of the creature's movement, and it makes perfect sense now that you put it that way. It does make perfect sense that yeah, you're you're at a location where the fire's not going to be happening anyway, and you're always going to be moving away from it. Wow, yep. that's that's an interesting take, Tom. That really is an interesting take because I know, you know, there's been a lot of Facebook posts uh, during this rash of, you know, wildfires this year. Uh, wow, where are the Sasquatch doing? Where are they going? Uh, okay, where are the a- other animals doing too? I, I don't know how many charred remains of animals you're finding behind, Birds can fly away. Squirrels will run. Deer will run. Uh, they're going to move away, and I'm sure. Look, you know these creatures have an amazing sense of smell. They can pick it up, and oh, that's your warning sign. Get out. <laughs> it's time to yeah, leave now. Before you even territory. see the smoke, you can smell it. Yeah. Well, Northwest Territories two summers ago, and uh, you know I'm with a guy. I'd never been up in the Northwest Territories, and I'm up there in summertime, and. All of a sudden, we come over to this little rise, which is probably 75 feet high, which is high for up there. And all of a sudden, it's like, holy, look at that. The forest fire is coming right on each side of the road. Buddy, who's lived up there most of his life, he just hits the foot to the floor in that mm. special edition Chevy truck, brand new, does about 100 mile an hour, 120 down his gravel road. And we're just fishtailing all over, and he just punches it through the fire and the smoke. And I'm sitting there looking at him going, oh, my God, he should have took a shot of his insulin. I think he's all messed up. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, dude? And he's like, what are we doing in Northwest Territory? They don't even put the fires out. They let them burn up here. And I'm thinking, which is totally different in British Columbia where everyone's scrambling to put them out, put them out. It's not so thing. Right. Northwest Territory is let them burn. But right. we get down the road another 10, 8 miles, I guess. There's about 100 Buffalo just slowly meandering down our road. Oh. And we can't go through them because they get mad and they'll hit the truck with their their heads. And you know, this is a, like a $60,000 brand new black Chevy special edition truck. Oh no, we got to follow these buffalo for about <laughs> half an hour until they finally veered <laughs> off the road. Wow. But you know, they, they weren't panicked. They know. Oh, look. Right. Oh, no. Oh, we'll just turn this way. And what they were doing was walking into the breeze. So animals mm-hmm. are smart. They've been around since mm-hmm. a lot longer than humans have been on this planet. And there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. They know right. how to think with instinct. We don't. Right. We think with our greed, our envy, our looks, mm-hmm. our vanity. Well, the animals don't think that way. Unless it's mating season, then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, in both species, both yeah, the human race and animal race, yeah, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you that. Look at <laughs> the nightclubs right now. It's Saturday night. People aren't listening to this. All hell's breaking loose in the nightclubs. Me, uh, 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 uh. yeah, you would be right. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you say something? I was totally distracted. <laughs> uh, 
No, that's that's a good point. Yeah, you're right though. I I you know the creatures of the world are by far more adapted than we are to it. And then I've often asked myself that question. You know, we need sunglasses to go out on a sunny day. It doesn't seem like the humans are very well adapted to this planet. But uh, you know, we have to wear clothing to stay warm. We have to have shelter in order to survive. Uh, I'm sorry, but I think, yeah, I, I, we're just not adapted to this planet at all. <laughs> if we have to protect what? ourselves with sunscreen, I don't know yeah. of animals that have to use sunscreen to protect themselves from the sun, but we have to, you know. But, you know, people that are listening way. to this, you know, there are probably a few people who got their eyebrows twitching right now and they're thinking, wow. You know, he's thinking on a whole different level. Yeah, I was 30-plus years out in the bush. I didn't have TV. I didn't have books, you know. So I had to do something when I sat on the beach going, hmm. And I used to think about the animals, the kingdom I was in. And that's why now with uh, our hamumuadventures.com, you know, it's we offer expeditions. You know, one of my expeditions is live like a Sasquatch. You come out, you get your cell phone for two hours in the evening, and you bring a, a camera. Pardon me. And what we do is when you get, we get a double kayak of mine. Pardon me. We bring it out to the Broughton Archipelago or somewhere else off eastern Vancouver Island. And once we get dropped off in the middle of Timbuk flipping nowhere, I say, okay, cell phone goes in the dry bag. You see inside, you got candy bars, survival bars, you got this, you got ramen noodles, you got all this good food, right? Well, mm-hmm. throw it all in there and seal it up. We're eating like Sasquatches from this point on. And in the double kayak That's with so my 12-gauge awesome. or my 338, we go out into the wilds, and we live like a Sasquatch. When tide is low, the buffet table's set. If you're allergic to shellfish or crabs, don't book this trip because you're going to end yeah, up getting right. pooped by something out there because you're going to die. But if you right. like seafood, wild food, come out. We're going to catch salmon, crabs, prawns, shrimp, clams, cockles, mussels. Deer, you name it. Being an Indian, I can hunt 365 days a year. So, you know, I can drop a deer and we'll have some good venison out there. And We just basically go looking for the creatures in their homes. And mm-hmm. we go searching and exploring. You know, I don't waste my time looking for tree structures. 99% of them are natural anyway. We're mm-hmm. made by the wind and other things. We're out there looking for the creatures, looking for signs of where they're at. And, you know, it's just a beautiful trip. And then, of course, you know, we do ones up in the Alpines. We use four-by-fours. You know, we got mm. guys that go, oh, I want a warm place to sleep. Yeah, okay, well, we've got just half a dozen yachts to choose from, and we can use those, or we can go to cabins and float houses that are out there. So, you know, I open up a whole different world, the world I've lived in all my life, but also the world of the coastal Sasquatch. And you learn a whole different thing in our expeditions. Yeah, tell you what, so. I'm gonna have to do that. I'm, that's that's like a priority. One of these days, I'll go oh, you better. A lot of fun. <laughs> the bucket like list, huh? Done deal. It's happening. Okay, it's a bucket <laughs> list thing. And Jen, I expect you to do a caravan of lore podcast from. Uh, well, yeah, when you're no eating way. at the buffet, and yeah, I I expect that. I totally expect that. <laughs> Live. 
Wow, this yeah. is absolutely fantastic, Tom. You know, I, I yeah, thank I, you. I, I can't so thank you enough for you know joining us. You will come back. Um, yeah, you know, we'll love to have you. Yeah. No, the, I could go on for days with these types of stories. Unfortunately, <laughs> podcast time yeah. doesn't allow us to go on for days with without. Oh yeah, know, like you say, you know, serious you know, conversation. <laughs> most people, you know, like podcasts, I love them. I'm, you know, I'm gonna probably do my own here in the near future or whatever. I'm doing a television show called Sasquatch Island right now, a series. We're heading out again in uh, December during the uh, Christmas holidays. There's gonna be some good mm-hmm. low tides. I have my two teenage kids for this rotation on Christmas going to split up from their mother. But, you know, we're going to jump on one of Buddy's yachts and his daughter is my partner in uh, Sasquatch Island Productions. And we're going to go out into the islands and, you know, bring it all about. You know, we got cell range most of the areas we're at, too. So, you know, we can do a podcast out there. You know, we're actually hearing us out in the field. No, and, it would be uh, wonderful. You know, for, you know, for anyone, you know, instead of sitting home spanking a monkey, you might as well come out and <laughs> live life like the Sasquatch is doing me. <laughs> well, where I come from, Tom, we call it, you know, slapping the Sasquatch, but it's, you can call yeah. it the monkey. If you oh, want. my God. <laughs> that is fantastic. Now, we'll put all those, uh, we'll we'll put your show links and, and podcast mm-hmm. info down in the show notes below, and, and you'll be oh, able yeah. to. Oh, yeah, you know, everyone should join Sasquatch Island. I just had my 3,000th member join. Nice. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, my congrats. My 3,000th in under a year. So what I'm going to do is wow. I'm doing a special edition print of the Junakwa for our Sasquatch Island logo for our t-shirts and everything next week. But the original proof, I'm going to announce mm-hmm. it on Sasquatch Island, who this 3,000th person was, and oh. I'm going to mail it to her. And that's, for the next, and I'm going to start picking random numbers now. And then whenever someone wins, I'm going to say 3,196 was the number that came up, and this is this person. Now they get an autographed print and different oh. things I do. I'm a West Coast native artist, so... You know, something that's for everyone fantastic. to do, so definitely join. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So for all our listeners, get over there and join it. And but everything I talked about before, it's all in there. Like it's it's the most in depth West Coast native Indian perspective lore and everything to do with the creatures. There's even a small one. It's not a Sasquatch, it's a spiritual creature. It's called Bukwis. And a lot of people are probably listening going, I thought the Kwakwaki Wak called the Sasquatch Bukwis. No, the little spiritual mm-hmm. one, the little troll type mm-hmm. thing that's running around out there, otherwise known as stick people or little people. And yeah, that's another episode for you uh-huh. listeners out there. I'd be happy to talk about it. And I got mm-hmm. stories from the Northwest Territories from Alaska, Omaha, Nebraska. California, Washington State, British Columbia, you name it. I've been sort of like Godfather 3. I'm trying to stay away from it, but the further I stay away from the little creature, the more I'm dragged right into it. Yeah, there you go. What the hell? 2018, I'm going to start studying those. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't wait. Consider twiddle my thumbs. Just, yeah, that'll be fantastic. I can't wait. Yeah, and you're all about Uh, lore, so I know all kinds of legends and stories from the different tribes. I can compare about the sea monsters. We got you know, all kinds of stories on that. I don't get into the woo-woo part, you know, the 
UFO flying around jumping Sasquatches or the porthole jumpers or the cloakers mm-hmm. or the mind speakers. I don't get into all that woo-woo BS. It's, it's, mm-hmm. that's all BS. People mm-hmm. who talk about that are so full of BS. Their eyes are brown. <laughs> oh, I love your sense of reality, Tom. It's fantastic. It really is. <laughs> I really appreciate you. Uh, yeah, there you yeah, go. <laughs> exactly. So you get we love out. having you on. Yeah, no, you'll be back. I'm excited to have you back. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to be back. All right, awesome. well, make your travel safely and get home and heal up so that you can yes, continue rest. this. And then and then once you, you you get some more, what once you get that fine, crisp, clear picture, we're going to have you <laughs> back on. But in the meantime, I want to extend a personal congratulations to you for all that you've done for the community and for what you're doing. It It's fantastic work. And believe me, it doesn't go unrecognized. The things that you've done and Jennifer and myself and our listeners, you know, follow along. Plus, there's, you know, a plethora of other squatchers in this community that do follow along as to what you're doing and are really taken back by all the wonderful information that you shared with us, the stories that you share, the knowledge that you have. It's greatly appreciated because I'm starting to see that this entire topic is starting to blossom bigger and bigger and bigger and more people are coming into it with an open mind. And I think that's part of the cultural change is that there's so many people coming into it with an open mind. And I think that's where the change is at. And being that you're the forefather that's teaching that to all of us that are coming into this and having an open mind, it's been fantastic. So thank you so very much and congratulations to you for all your success. So make your way back home and get get yourself all healed up. Oh, yeah. From all of us from the team of Sasquatch Island, we thank you very much and look forward to hearing from your viewers and listeners there. And uh, our language, I'd just like to end by saying halakulisla. Go in peace. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Have a good rest of the night, sir. Okay. Bye. Bye. Mm -hmm.